You're listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast, now on Google Play. With Judy Pizzazzaro, Senior Editor. Brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas. Welcome to a supply side edition of the Healthy Insider podcast series. I'm Judy Bazazro, and with me on the phone today, I have Lynn Dornblazer. She is the Director of Innovation and Insight at Mintel. She will also be speaking on the Blurring the Line Between Food Trend and Fad workshop, taking place on Friday, October 18th at Supply Side West in Las Vegas. Lynn, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. No problem. Okay. So, Let's just jump right in. You are an industry thought leader, and you have seen this food and beverage landscape evolve uh, for quite a long time. Can you talk about some of the biggest factors, biggest market drivers right now affecting the food and beverage space, especially in terms of uh, product formulation? Sure. It feels to me like there are three big ones, but there's something else really important that needs to be talked about, and that is There's been lots and lots of change, but there's a lot that's been exactly the same. We still look at health. We look at indulgence. We look at convenience. We look at value. Those haven't changed. Those are big trends that we've been talking about since I started looking at all of this many decades ago. But in terms of some things that have changed recently, it feels like, as I said, there are three big things. One is consumers want more information. There's more information out there than ever before. There's more misinformation about what ingredients do, about um, the healthfulness or not of particular products, all of that. And there's more ways for consumers to find out about products and what they're finding out might be correct and it might not be correct. And so I think that's a major challenge that the industry has in explaining to consumers what's in their products. A second one is there's more choice than ever before, more places to shop, more products to choose from, more complexity. And so um, as we talk about branding and how to make yourself stand out, that that's such an important issue to be thinking about. And the last thing, and, and perhaps the biggest one, is consumers are more concerned than they've ever been before. They're concerned about the environment, the impact of what they do, what companies do, um, of product packaging, of formulation as well. They're they're concerned about where foods come from in every sense of what that might mean. And they're also very concerned about what's in the food that they choose. So I would say that those are the three really big things that have changed in recent years. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, you know, we're talking about clean label, where the food is from, how it's sourced, consumer concern about that. You know, A few years ago, clean label was considered a fad, um, but that's no longer the case. I mean, today's consumers really expect products to be made with clean, natural ingredients. And brands are really answering this demand, and they're they're launching innovative food and beverage products. But can you, you know, this is what we're going to be talking about in our session. Can you explain the difference uh, between food trend and a fad? Sure, yeah. And, you know, it's uh, one of those things, as you can imagine, we've been talking about for years and when you think about it, it, the difference is actually fairly straightforward, but the challenge is you often can't truly identify if something is a trend or a fad until you're looking in the rearview mirror. But some things that, that we've come up with, for us, when we think about um, 
a group of products or something that's going on that's a trend, here's what we see. We normally see slow, steady growth over time, both in terms of sales and also in terms of new product introductions. We see whatever it is being applicable across um, a wide range of categories as opposed to being uh, something that you would see only in one category. We see it expanding from one country to another as well. Something else that we see that's kind of a, an interesting one is we see like whatever it happens to be, it has an easy to understand language, like what it is and how it's described is something that's very easy for consumers to understand. And it's easy for consumers and restaurants and, and um, supermarkets to adopt as well. One of the things that we always say, too, is that it has some kind of a, an aha factor, meaning you see it and you think, oh, that makes sense. So when we think of a trend, that's what we think of. But when we think of a fad, here's what we think of. Usually a fad, it appears quickly, grows quickly, disappears quickly. So exactly the opposite. It often appears in a smaller number of categories, smaller number of countries. It's often really hard to explain or has very difficult language that is around it. And it's often very hard to adopt as well. But it also has that aha factor where you see it and you think, oh yeah, that thing. So they're similar in a couple of ways, but really, really different in many more ways. So, and I agree. I mean, as that's our job as food and beverage industry to really help the consumers understand uh, those terms and understand specific dietary patterns and, and really, you know, unblur the lines. Exa yes, exactly right. And um, there's one really textbook example that, that I've been talking about now for years about a trend versus a fad. And when you think about it in this way, it becomes a little bit easier to understand and easier to explain to people. And I think easier to identify. And that is think about First off, think about whole grain as a trend. Now I'm thinking going back, you know, 20 years, over the course of 20 years, the idea of products talking about being whole grain. Compare that, contrast that to what we saw going on in 2003, 4, and 5 regarding low carb. If you can envision this, um, whole grain is the trend. Small, steady growth over time, products across a whole bunch of categories. Low carb was U.S. only, peaked in 2004, and tanked in 2005, and didn't exist in 2002. So if you think about, if you were around in uh, at that time when low carb was hot, you knew it was everywhere. Everybody talked about it. Every single product seemed to have a, a low carb label on it. And then all of a sudden, it was completely gone. That's a fad. Okay, great. I mean, that's a great explanation. You know, let's let's kind of dive into some of the trends or fads that we're going to be discussing in the workshop. But let's talk a little bit about uh, gluten-free, keto, uh, vegan, and FODMAPs. You know, really, there's kind of a blurring of the lines there. You know, what really defines it? And, you know, do those particular dietary patterns or those particular eating patterns have impact for long-term growth in this industry? Great. Yeah, there's, those are four really good ones because every single one of them in terms of are they a, a fad or a trend, they're different from one another. So 
for gluten-free, when I look at gluten-free and I think about that, I think that it's a trend and a fad. And that seems like a very contradictory thing to say. But um, the reason it's a fad is it feels like, this is waning now, but it feels like, let's say a year ago, everyone was jumping on gluten-free you know, consumers, They're, whether they needed to or not, whether they had gluten sensitivity or not, they were following what celebrities were saying, oh, I eat gluten-free to lose weight, you know, things like that. Um, I eat it to have more energy. Uh, so a lot of consumers jumped into gluten-free who didn't need it, perhaps for the wrong reasons. And it feels like we're beginning to see them backing away just a little bit. Some of those consumers who don't don't have a need for gluten-free. But it is a trend in that the incidence of celiac disease and gluten sensitivity continues to grow in the U.S. market. And so there, there is a need for these products. There will always be a need for these products. And that's what makes it a trend. But what everybody else is doing is really what makes it a fad. So that's gluten-free. When it comes to keto, well, keto to me interestingly, is I feel like keto is a fad, but the elements of it are a trend. And here's what I mean by that. Keto, in terms of what it is and what the diet plan is and all of that, it fits really well um, all of those things that, that I described about a fad. It's hard to follow. It's proscriptive. Can't do this, can't do that, can't do the other thing. It's expensive. It often requires unusual ingredients. All of those things together mean that there will be a lot of consumers who won't even approach it, either because they don't choose to or they simply can't afford to. But it feels like the it feels like keto is beginning to morph a little bit. I've seen articles talking about ketotarians or ketotarianism, meaning a largely keto diet with a stronger focus on plant-based nutrition as opposed to animal-based nutrition, which I think is just absolutely fascinating. And you think about that, if you think about keto that's less about bacon, let's say, and you know more about other things, what that feels like is that's beginning to point back towards that classic Mediterranean diet, as does, in some senses, a low-gluten diet not gluten-free, certainly, but, but a low-gluten diet. So it almost feels like keto, the way it is right now, isn't necessarily going to, to stick long-term. But I think the, some of the values that it's about do have long-term potential. So that's gluten-free and keto. Vegan. To me, vegan is most definitely a trend. Uh, and the reason it's a trend is the focus that consumers have today on plant-based foods. Now, will consumers in large numbers completely switch away from animal-based protein to plant-based protein only? That would surprise me a little bit. And part of that is cost issues and availability issues and all of that. But the whole idea of more plant-based meals, more plant-based alternatives to animal proteins. That's something that is here to stay, that is not going away anytime soon, driven partially by younger consumers, partially by environmental issues, but it feels like that one is with us, that one is with us for good. And then the last one is FODMAP, and you can probably guess what I'm going to say about that. That's a fad. 
so hard to follow, impossible for consumers to understand what the heck is a FODMAP from a consumer standpoint. I think those that very small number of consumers who understand the science might get it, but it is not for most consumers. And I've got one other one that that did also turn out to be a fad that I think is right in line with this one. Remember glycemic index. Mm -hmm. Also really hot for a very short period of time. And yes, it's something glycemic index, something very important if you, let's say, um, are diabetic, you know, very good, a very good program to, to follow, but really, really hard and very difficult to understand. And FODMAP is exactly the same way shifting a little bit, I'd like to get your thoughts on how consumers view these dietary patterns and, and do they understand them? And I know you kind of, you mentioned uh, that previously, but you know, how many consumers really adhere to these patterns because of real health concerns? Right. When it comes to real health concerns, it's shocking how small it is, actually. Even when it's not about, let's, let's talk about gluten-free, because that's in many ways, that's the easiest one to talk about. It's the biggest one of these four. And we've got some like really fascinating data on that as well. A lot of consumers don't need to eat gluten-free, but they eat gluten-free for other reasons. They eat it because someone they know does, because they heard that it would help them lose weight or have more energy or whatever, as opposed to eating gluten-free because they have um, celiac disease or gluten sensitivity. The reality is, with the research that we have, now this is a general population, uh, when we ask consumers, do, do you or anyone in your household eat gluten-free foods? And it is 18% of consumers who say they eat gluten-free. Now, there's caveat there, because it skews young. Um, looking at the youngest consumers, 18 to 24, so those are um, Gen Z, so those are the ones younger than millennials. It's the highest among that group. It's 30% of them say that they currently eat gluten-free. And then for millennials, it's about 25, 26%. But for Gen X and baby boomers, under 10%. So it's younger consumers who say that they eat gluten-free. Now, I wouldn't necessarily assume, though, that that will mean that they will always be eating gluten-free. The reason I say that is we also had asked consumers, did you eat gluten-free versions of foods that um, uh, typically contain gluten in the past? And do you currently or do you plan to? And when we look at that data, we see that it's, um, it's a small number of consumers, only 10% of consumers who say, I ate gluten-free in the past, but no longer do. That's all consumers. But you look at the, the younger consumers, Gen Z, millennials, they are far more likely, twice as likely to say that they ate gluten-free in the past, but don't anymore. So what that says to me is younger consumers are more likely to say they eat gluten-free, but they're also more likely to say that they used to and they don't anymore. So that, that seems to indicate that gluten-free, even though more uh, younger consumers are eating, eating gluten-free, that they're not likely to stay at those same numbers at 30% of the population throughout their lifetime. So that was an extremely long and complicated answer to that, to that one question. But, but to me, that data is really fascinating because it illustrates 
something that I think is similar for all four of these. All four of these areas, gluten-free, keto, vegan, well, let's say three of the four. I say FODMAPs and non-starters. So let's say for three of those four, you've got, they're far more popular among younger consumers, but don't assume that those consumers will continue to do this at this at that same level throughout their entire life. Okay, great. Excellent uh, insight into that. So with so many products on the market, I mean, you walk down any, any aisle, any grocery aisle, and you see, you know, gluten-free, vegan, keto, you know, it's all over the internet. How, consumer, consumers can get overwhelmed. They can also get over overloaded on information. If I'm a brand, how do I best market my products in that crowded marketplace? It, that is a challenge, and especially with, um, you know, one of the things I mentioned in the past earlier in this conversation with how many different places consumers have to shop as well, because it used to be you went to a grocery store. Maybe you went to um, a convenience store to grab a gallon of milk when you ran out and you didn't expect to, but you went to a grocery store. But today, it's the choices feel infinite from a company's website to going to that regular grocery store. So the what I always say about what companies can do to stand out is, first off, it's all about simple, clear communication. That seems really obvious, but when you take a walk down any aisle in any store or you take a look online at whatever source you're looking at, look at the product packages and how unbelievably complicated most of them are to understand what it is, what its benefit is, what the name of it is. It it can be so confusing for consumers. There was a data point uh, that I remember from the Food Marketing Institute, probably, it's probably 20 years ago now, uh, in some of their research, they said that on average, consumers spent seven seconds on each product that they bought in store. If you think about that, if that's still true, I would guess it's even less than that. If that's still true, that's not much time. You don't have much time to attract a consumer. So simple, clear communication is so important. What goes along with that, I think, is explaining what's in the product, meaning its benefits, um, you know, what the, for the formulation benefits, explaining what's in the product, and why those things are there, what they're supposed to do for you beyond taste or even just to, to address taste. And the other thing is to help consumers understand what's in the product and why it's in the product and, and you know, what, what that's all about. And I think companies gave that away. Um, companies Food and beverage companies had the opportunity to be on the forefront of educating consumers about the ingredients in their products. They didn't do it, and so consumer activists did, and in many cases did it wrong. And so now companies have to take that back and find a way to be the resource in terms of helping consumers understand what's in the products that they buy and why those ingredients are there and what they do. To me, those are some of the really key things to help consumers understand why their products are the very best ones they should buy. 
Great. That's great advice. So for our listeners, this is just a glimpse into the types of topics that uh, Lynn and our panelists will be talking about at Supply Side West. We'll also take a deep dive into formulation considerations, including ingredient selection and ability to scale up. But Lynn, um, do you have anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap this up? Sure. There's just one other thing that I would say, and that is every company should keep in mind the one thing that's the most important to consumers, and that's that the product tastes good. All the research we have shows us over and over and over again, the most important thing is that a product tastes good. Cost is number two. Health is kind of down the line a little bit. So companies have got to nail taste, and to go along with that, they have to nail communicating that deliciousness to consumers. Okay, great. And again, thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas, uh, where you'll be speaking on the Blurring the Line Between Food Trends and Fads workshop on Friday, October 18th. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the health and nutrition industry, leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud account. This episode has been brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas.